0: Hello, hello guys. Welcome back to the Rambling Sesh. Today's going to be a little bit different. I know we have not been making many episodes lately ever since graduation. But apparently life really does hit you hard right after graduating. If none of you already know, I am a huge bookworm. I have a ton of collections of novels. I have tons of collections of mangas. And if you don't know what mangas are, they are... um. Basically comic books, but Japanese comics book. They're more like Japanese and Korean comic books, depending on where they originated from. But um, I'm going to be reading Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm going to be reading Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones. And I'm going to be reading a book That's collected by Alvin Schwartz and drawings by Stephen Gamel. If none of you don't know, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a famous book that has been in many of our childhoods. And I mean many. I couldn't tell you a school, a public school, that didn't have a Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book. So I'm going to start off reading. Pioneers used to entertain themselves by telling scary stories. At night, they might gather in somebody's cabin or around a fire and see who would scare the others the most. Some girls and boys in my town do the same things today. They get together at somebody's house and they turn out the lights and eat popcorn and scare one another half to death. Telling scary stories is something people have done for thousands of years. For most of us, like being scared in that way. Since there isn't any danger, we think it's fun. There are many scary stories to tell. There are ghost stories, there are tales of witches, devils, boogeymen, zombies, and vampires. There are tales of monstrous creatures and of other dangers. There are even stories that make us laugh at all the scariness. Some of these tales are very old and they are told around the world and most have the same origins. They are based on things that people saw, or heard, or experienced, or thought they did. Many years ago, a young prince became famous for a scary story he started to tell, but did not finish. His name was Mamulus? If you guys know me, we all know Sin likes to butcher a ton of names. I am sorry, but I am going to be butchering so much. And I also have a weird stutter, so this is... (laughs) I hope you guys enjoy it but anyways let's continue he probably was nine or ten years old william shakespeare told about him in the winter's tale it was on a dark and winter's day that his mother the queen asked him for a story a sad tale's best for winter he said i have one of sprites and goblins do your best to frighten me with your sprites she said you're powerful at it i shall tell it softly he said "Yond crickets shall not hear it and he begun there was a man dwelt by a churchyard but that was as far as he got for at that moment the king came in and arrested the queen and took her away and soon after that mamelius died no one knows how he would have finished his story if you started as he did what would you tell? Most scary stories are, of course, meant to be told. They are more scarier that way. But how you tell them is important. As Malmius knew, the best way is to speak softly so that your listeners lean forward to catch your words and to speak softly so that your words sound scary. And the best time to tell these stories is at night, in the dark and the gloom, It is easy for someone listening to imagine all sorts of strange and scary things. And this was said in Princeton, New Jersey by Alvin Schwartz. And like I said before, Alvin Schwartz was the one that has created the book. And also, if you have a book yourself, then you should know that Stephen Gamel, he also was the one that created the illustration within the book. Anyways, let's continue. So we will be starting with the big toe. A boy was digging at the edge of the garden when he saw a big toe. He tried to pick it up, but it was stuck to something. So he gave it a good hard jerk and it came off in his hand. Then he heard something groan and scamper away. The boy took the toe into the kitchen and showed it to his mother. It looks nice and plump, she said. I'll put it in the soup and we'll have it for supper. That night, his father carved the toe into three pieces, and they each had a piece. Then they did the dishes, and when it got dark, they went to bed. The boy fell asleep almost at once, but in the middle of the night, a sound awakened him. It was something out in the street. It was a voice, and it was calling to him. Where is my toe? It groaned. When the boy heard that, He got very scared, but he thought, It doesn't know where I am. It never will find me. When he heard the voice once more, only now it was closer. Where is my toe? It groaned. The boy pulled the blankets over his head and closed his eyes. I'll go to sleep, he thought. When I wake up, it will be gone. But soon he heard the back door open, and again he heard the voice. Where is my toe? It groaned. When the boy heard the footsteps moving through the kitchen into the dining room, into the living room, into the front hall, then slowly they climbed the stairs. Closer and closer they came. Soon they were in the upstairs hall. Now they were outside his door. Where is my toe? The voice groaned. His door opened. Shaking with fear, he listened as the footsteps slowly moved through the dark towards his bed. Then they stopped. "'Where is my toe?' the voice groaned. "'Next story, what do you come for?' There was an old woman who lived all by herself, and she was very lonely. Sitting in the kitchen one night, she said, "'Oh, I wish I had some company.' No sooner had she spoken that down the chimney tumbled two feet from which the flesh had rot. The old woman's eyes bulged with terror, then two legs dropped to the hearth and attached themselves to the feet. Then a body tumbled down, then two arms and a man's head. As the old woman watched the parts come together into a great gangling man, the man danced around and around the room. Faster and faster he went, then he stopped and looked into her eyes. "'What do you come for?' she asked in a small voice that shivers and shook. "'What do I come for?' he said. "'I come for you.'" Next, we will be reading The Thing. Ted Martin and Sam Miller were good friends. They spent a lot of time together. On this particular night, they were sitting on a fence near the post office, talking about one thing and another. There was a field of turnips across the road. Suddenly, they saw something crawling out of the field and stand up. It looked like a man. But in the dark, it was hard to tell for sure. Then it was gone. But soon it appeared again. It walked halfway across the road. Then it turned around and went back into the field. Then it came out a third time and started towards them. By now, Ted and Sam were scared and they started running. But when they finally stopped, they decided we're being foolish. They weren't sure what had scared them, so they decided to go back and get a better look. Pretty soon they saw it, for it was coming to meet them. It was wearing black pants, a white shirt, and black suspenders. Sam said, I'm going to try to touch it. Then we'll know for sure it's real. He walked up to it, and it peered into its face. It looked bright patronating eyes sunk deep in its head it looked like a skeleton ted took one look and screamed and again he and sam ran but this time the skeleton followed them when they got to ted's house they stood in the doorway and watched it it stayed out in the road for a while then it disappeared a year later ted got sick and died towards the end sam sat up with him every night The night Ted died, Sam said, he looked just like the skeleton. Next, we will be reading Cold as Clay. A farmer had a daughter for whom he cared more than anything on earth. She fell in love with a farm hand named Jim. But the farmer did not think Jim was good enough for his daughter. To keep them apart, he sent her to live with her uncle on the other side of the country. Soon after she left, Jim got sick and he wasted away and died. Everyone said he died of a broken heart. The farmer felt so guilty about Jim's death, he could not tell his daughter what had happened. She continued to think about Jim and the life they might have had together. One night, many weeks later, there was a knock on her uncle's door. When the girl opened the door, Jim was standing there. Your father asked me to get you, he said. I came on on his best horse. Is there anything wrong, she asked. I don't know, he said. She packed a few things, and they left. She rode behind him, clinging to his waist. Soon he complained of a headache. It aches something terrible, he told her. She put her hand on his forehead. Why, you are as cold as clay, she said. I hope you are not ill. And she wrapped her handkerchief around his head. They traveled so swiftly that in a few hours they had reached the farm. The girl cricked dismounted and knocked on the door her father was startled to see her didn't you send for me she asked no i didn't he said she turned to jim but he was gone and so was the horse they went into the stable to look for them the horse was there it was covered with sweat and trembling with fear but there was no sign of jim terrified her father told her the truth about jim's death Then quickly he went to see Jim's parents. They decided to open his grave. The corpse was in its coffin, but around its head, they found the girl's handkerchief. Next, we will be reading The Haunted House. One time, a preacher went to see if he could put a haunt to the rest at a house in his settlement. The house had been haunted for about 10 years. Several people have tried to stay there all night, but they always would get scared out by the haunt. So this preacher took his Bible and went to the house, went on and built himself a good fire and little lamp, sat there reading the Bible. Then just before midnight, he heard something start up in the cellar, walking back and forth, back and forth. Then it sounded like somebody was trying to scream and got choked off. Then there was a lot of thrashing around and struggling and finally everything got quiet. The old preacher took his Bible again, but before he could start reading, he heard footsteps coming up the cellar stairs. He sat watching the door to the cellar, and the footsteps kept coming closer and closer. He saw the doorknob turn, and when the door began to open, he jumped up and hollered, What do you want? The door shut back, the door shut back easy-like, and there wasn't a sound. The preacher was trembling a little. But he finally opened the Bible and read a while. Then he got up and laid the book on the chair and went to mending the fire. Then the haunt started walking again and step, step, step up the cellar stairs. The old preacher sat back and watched the door, saw the doorknob turn and the door open. It looked like a young woman. He backed up and said, who are you? What do you want? The haunt sort of swayed. Like she didn't know what to do. Then she just faded out. The old preacher waited and waited. And when he didn't hear any more noises, he went over and shut the door. He was sweating and trembling all over. But he was a brave man and he thought he'd be able to see it through. So he turned his chair to where he could watch and he sat down and waited. It wasn't long before he heard the haunt start up again. Slowly, step, step. Step, step closer, and closer, step, step. It was right at the door. The preacher stood up and held his Bible out before him. Then the knob slowly turned, and the door opened wide. This time, the preacher spoke quiet-like. He said, In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, who are you, and what do you want? The haunt came right across the room, straight to him, and took out his coat. It was a young woman, about 20 years old. Her hair was torn and tangled, and the flesh was dropping off her face, so he could see the bones and part of her teeth. She had no eyeballs, but there was some sort of blue light way back in her eye sockets, and she had no nose to her face. Then she started talking. It sounded like her voice was coming and going with the wind blowing it. She told how her lover had killed her for her money and buried her in the cellar. She said if the preacher would dig up her bones and bury her properly, she could rest. Then she told him to take the end joint of the little finger from her left hand and to lay it in the collection plate at the next church meeting, and he'd find out who had murdered her. And she said, If you come back here once more after that, you'll hear my voice at midnight and I'll tell you where my money is hid, and you can give it to the church. The haunt sobbed like she was tired, and she sunk down towards the floor and was gone. The preacher found her bones and buried them in the graveyard. The next Sunday, the preacher put the finger bone in the collection plate, and when a certain man happened to touch it, it stuck to his hand. The man jumped up and rubbed and scraped and tore at the bone, trying to get it off. Then he went screaming, like he was going crazy Well, he confessed to the murder and they took him to jail after the man was hung the preacher went back to the house one midnight and the hunt's voice told him to dig under the hearth rock he did and he found a big sack of money and where that haunt had held on to his coat the print of those bony fingers was burned right into the cloth and never did come out next we will be reading the guest's A young man and his wife were on a trip to visit his mother. Usually they arrived in time for supper, but they had gotten a late start, and now it was getting dark. So they decided to look for a place to stay overnight and go on in the morning. Just off the road, they saw a small house in the woods. Maybe they rent rooms? The wife said. So they stopped to ask. An elderly man and woman came to the door. They didn't rent rooms, they said but they would be glad to have them stay overnight as their guests. They had plenty of room and they would enjoy the company. The old women made coffee and brought out some cake, and the four of them talked for a while. Then the young couple were taken to their room. They again explained that they wanted to pay for this, but the old man said he would not accept any money. The young couple got up early the next morning before their hosts had awakened. On a table near the front door, they left an envelope with some money in it for the room. Then they went on to the next town. They stopped in a restaurant and had breakfast. When they told the owners where they had stayed, he was shocked. That can't be, he said. That house burned down to the ground, and the man and the woman who lived there died in the fire. The young couple could not believe it. So they went back to the house, only now there was no house. All they found was a burned-out shell. They stood, staring at the ruins, trying to understand what had happened. When the women screamed, in the rubble was a badly burnt table, like the one they had seen at the front door. On the table was the envelope they had left that morning. Next, we will be reading Alligators. A young woman in town married a man from another part of the country. He was a nice fellow, and they got along pretty well together. There was only one problem. Every night, he'd go swimming in the river. Sometimes he would be gone all night long, and she would complain about how lonely she was. This couple had two young sons. As soon as the boys could walk, their father began to teach them how to swim. And when they got to be old enough, he took them swimming in the river at night. Often, they would stay there all night long, and the young woman would stay at home all by herself. After a while, she began to act in a strange way. At least, that is what the neighbors said. She told them that her husband was turning into an alligator and that he was trying to turn the boys into alligators. Everybody told her there was nothing wrong with a man taking his son swimming. That was a natural thing to do. And when it came to alligators, there just weren't any nearby. Anybody knew that. Early one morning, the young woman came running into town from the direction of the river. She was soaking wet. She said a big alligator and two little alligators had pulled her in and had tried to get her to eat a raw fish. They were her husband and her son, she said, and they wanted her to live with them, but she had gotten away. Her doctor decided she had lost her mind and he had put her in the hospital for a while. After that, nobody saw her husband and boys again. They just disappeared. But now and then the fishermen would tell about seeing alligators in the river at night. Usually it was one big alligator and two small ones. But people said they were just making it up. Everybody knows there aren't any alligators around here. The Wendigo A wealthy man wanted to go hunting in a part of northern Canada, where few people had ever hunted. He traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him but no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. Finally, he found an Indian who needed money badly, and he agreed to take him. The Indian's name was De Flago. Sorry, I probably butchered that. Anyways, let's continue. They made camp in the snow near a large frozen lake. For three days, they hunted, but they had nothing to show for it. The third night, the windstorm came up. They lay in their tent, listening to the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To see the storm better, the hunter opened the tent, flaps. What he saw startled him. There wasn't a breath of air stringing, and the trees were standing perfectly still, yet he could hear the wind howling. And the more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling Du Fuego's name. Du Fuego, it called. De Fuego! I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But De Fuego had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. What's this all about? the hunter asked. It's nothing, De Fuego said. But the wind continued to call him, and De Fuego became more tense and more restless. De Fuego, he called. De Fuego. Suddenly he jumped to his feet and began to run from the, run from the tent. But the hunter grabbed him and rustled him to the ground. You can't leave me out here, the hunter shouted. Then the wind called again. And De Fuego broke loose and ran into the darkness. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went. Again and again he cried. Oh my fairy feet, my burning feet on fire. Then his voice faded away. And the wind died down. At daybreak, the hunters followed De Fuego's tracks in the snow. They went through the woods, down towards the lake, then out onto the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The steps De Fuego had taken got longer and longer. They were so long, no human being could have taken them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but they disappeared. At first he thought DeFuego had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off into the ice, into the sky. But that made no sense. As he stood wondering what had happened, the wind picked up again. Soon it was howling, as it had the night before. Then he heard DeFuego's voice. It was coming from up above. And again he heard DeFuego screaming. My fiery feet, my burning feet but there was nothing to be seen. Now the hunter wanted to leave that place as fast as he could. He went back to the camp and packed. Then he left some food for DeFuego, and he started out. Weeks later, he reached civilization. The following year, he went back to hunt in that area again. He went to the same trading post to look for a guide. The people there could not explain what had happened to DeFuego that night, but they had not seen him since then. Maybe it was a windigo, one of them said, and he laughed. It was supposed to come with the wind. It drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away, and more of you than that. Then it carries you into the sky and it drops you. It's just a crazy story. But that's what some of the Indians say. A few days later, the hunter was at the trading post again. An Indian came in and sat by the fire. He had a blanket wrapped around him, and he wore his hat so that you couldn't see his face. The hunter thought that there was something familiar about him. He walked over, and he asked, Are you de fuego? The Indian didn't answer him. Do you know anything about him? No answer. He began to wonder if something was wrong, if the man needed help, but he couldn't see his face. Are you all right? he asked. No answer. To get a good look at him, he lifted the Indian's hat. Then he screamed. There was nothing under the hat but a pile of ashes. May I carry your basket? Sam Lewis spent the evening playing chess at his friend's house. It was about midnight when they finished their game, and he started home. Outside, it was an icy cold and as quiet as the grave. As he came around and turned in the road... He was surprised to see a woman walking ahead of him. She was carrying a basket covered with a white cloth. When he caught up to her, he looked to see who it was. But she was so bundled up against the cold, it was hard to see her face. Good evening, Sam said. What brings you out so late? But she didn't answer. Then he said, may I carry your basket? She handed it to him from under the cloth. A small voice said, that's very nice of you. And that was followed by the wild laughter. Sam was so startled that he dropped the basket and out rolled a woman's head. He looked at the head and he stared at the woman. It's her head, he cried, and he started to run. The woman in her head began to chase him. Soon, the head caught up to him. It bounced into the air and s- sunk its teeth into his left leg. Sam screamed with the pain and ran faster. But the woman in her head stayed right behind. Soon the head leaped into the air again and bit onto his other leg. Then they were gone. High beams. The girl driving the old blue sedan was a senior at the high school. She lived on a farm about eight miles away and used the car to drive back and forth. She had driven into the town that night to see a basketball game. Now she was on her way home. As she pulled away from the school, she noticed a red pickup followed her out of the parking lot. A few minutes later, the truck was still behind her. I guess we're going in the same direction, she thought. She began to watch the truck in her mirror. When she changed her speed, the driver of the truck changed his speed. When she passed a car, so did he. Then he turned on his high beams, flooding her car with light. He left them on for almost a minute. He probably wants to pass me, she thought. But she was becoming uneasy. Usually she drove home over the back road. Not too many people went that way. But when she turned onto the road, so did the truck. I've got to get away from him, she thought. And she began to drive faster. Then he turned his high beams on again. After a minute, he turned them off. Then he turned them on again and off again. She drove even faster, but the truck driver stayed right behind her. Then he turned his high beams on again. Once more, her car was ablaze with light. What is he doing? She wondered. What does he want? Then he turned them off again. But a minute later, he had them on again, and he left them on. At last, she pulled into her driveway, and the truck pulled in right behind her. She jumped from the car and ran into the house. Call the police, she screamed at her father. Out in the driveway, she could see the driver of the truck. He had a gun in his hand. When the police arrived, they started to arrest him. But he pointed to the girl's car. You don't want me, he said. You want him. Crouched behind the driver's seat, there was a man with a knife. As the driver of the truck explained it, the man slipped into the girl's car just before she left the school. He saw it happen, but there was no way he could stop it. He thought about getting the police, but he was afraid to leave her, so he followed her. Each time the man in the back seat reached up to overpower her, the driver of the truck turned on his high beams. Then the man dropped down, afraid that someone might see him. The Babysitter It was 9 o'clock in the evening. Everybody was sitting on the couch in front of the TV. There was Richard, Brian, Jenny, and Doreen, the babysitter. The telephone rang. Maybe it's your mother, said Doreen. She picked up the phone before she could say a word. A man laughed hysterically and hung up. Who was it? asked Richard. Some nut, said Doreen. What did I miss? At 9.30, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. It was the man who had called before. I'll be there soon, he said, and he laughed and hung up. Who was it? the children asked. Some crazy person, she said. About ten o'clock, the telephone rang again. Jenny got it to it first. Hello, she said. It was the same man. One more hour, he said, and he laughed and hung up. He said one more hour. What did he mean? asked Jenny. Don't worry, said Doreen. It's somebody fooling around. I'm scared, said Jenny. About 10.30, the telephone rang once more when Doreen picked it up and the man said, pretty soon now, and he laughed. Why are you doing this? Doreen screamed and he hung up. Was it that guy again? Asked Brian. Yes, said Doreen. I'm going to call the operator and complain. The operator told her to call back if it happened again and she would try to trace the call. At 11 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. Very soon now the man said, and he laughed and hung up. Doreen called the operator. Almost at once, she called back. That person is calling from the telephone upstairs, she said. You better leave. I'll get the police. Just then, the door upstairs opened. A man they had never seen before stared down the stairs towards them. As they ran from the house, he was smiling in a very strange way. A few minutes later, the police found him there and arrested him. Aaron Kelly's Bones Aaron Kelly was dead. They brought him a coffin and had a funeral and buried him. But that night, he got out of his coffin and he came home. His family was sitting around the fire when he walked in. He sat down next to his window and he said, What's going on? You all act like somebody died. Who's dead? His widow said, You are. I don't feel dead, he said. I feel fine. You don't look fine, his widow said. You look dead. You better get back to the grave where you belong. I'm not going back to the grave until I feel dead, he said. Since Aaron wouldn't go back, his widow couldn't collect his life insurance. Without that, she couldn't pay for the coffin, and the undertaker said he would take it back. Aaron didn't care. He sat by the fire rocking in a chair and warming his hands and feet but his joints were dry and his back was stiff, and every time he moved, he creaked and cracked. One night, the best fiddler in town came to the court, the widow. Since Aaron was dead, the fiddler wanted to marry her. The two of them sat on one side of the fire, and Aaron sat on the other side, creaking and cracking. How long do we have to put up with the dead corpse? the widow asked. Something must be done, the fiddler said. This isn't very jolly, Aaron said. Let's dance. The fiddler got out his fiddle and began to play. Aaron stretched himself, shook himself, got up, took a step or two, and began to dance. With his old bones rattling and his yellow teeth snapping and his bald head wagging and his arms flip-flopping, around and around he went. With his long legs clicking and his knee bones knocking, He skipped and pranced around the room. How that dead man danced! But pretty soon the bone work loose and fell to the floor. Look at that, said the fiddler. Play faster, said the widow. The fiddler played faster. Crickety crack, down the back, the dead man went hopping and his dry bones kept dropping. This way, that way, the pieces just kept popping. Play, man, play, cried the widow. The fiddler fiddled, and dead Aaron danced. Then Aaron fell apart, collapsed into a pile of bones, all except his bald head bone. That grinned at the fiddler, cracked its teeth, and kept dancing. Look at that, groaned the fiddler. Play louder, cried the widow. Ho, ho, said the head bone. Ain't we having fun? The fiddler couldn't stand it. Widow, he said, I'm going home. And he never came back. The family gathered around Aaron's bones and put them back in the coffin. They mixed them up so he couldn't fit them together. After that, Aaron stayed in his grave. But his widow never did get married again. Aaron had to see that. The ghost with bloody fingers. A businessman arrived at a hotel late one night and asked for a room. The room clerk told him the hotel was all filled up. There is one empty room, he said. But we don't rent that one because it is haunted. I'll take it, said the businessman. I don't believe in ghosts. The man went up into the room and unpacked his things, and he went to bed. As soon as he did, the ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were bleeding, and it was moaning, Bloody fingers, bloody fingers. When the man saw the ghost, he grabbed his things and ran. The next night, the woman arrived very late. Again, all the rooms were taken except the haunted room. I'll sleep there, she said. I'm not afraid of ghosts. As soon as she got onto the bed, the ghost came out of the closet. Its fingers were still bleeding, and it was still moaning, bloody fingers, bloody fingers. The woman took one look and ran. A week later, another guest arrived very late. He also took the haunted room. After he unpacked and got out his guitar, he began to play. Soon the ghost appeared. As before, its fingers were bleeding, and it was moaning bloody fingers, bloody fingers. The man paid no attention. He just kept strumming his guitar, but the ghost kept moaning, and his fingers kept bleeding. Finally, the guitar player looked up. Cool it, man, he said. Get yourself a band-aid. Thank you for listening to The Rambling Sesh, and I hope you had a good time listening to me read. I'm sorry if I was butchering names and stuttering words. I'm not the greatest when it comes to reading out loud, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Sorry again that it's taken us a while to make new episodes, but I hope in the future we're able to be more consistent with it. I hope everyone has a good day and a good summer. And thank you for listening to The Rambling Sesh.